Welcome to episode two of Living the High Conviction Life. I'm your host, David Pellucci, and today I'll be joined by senior advisor at Shore and Partners, Adam Dawes. Adam and I delve into the history of his investment career and also talk about some of the pitfalls and lessons to be learned when being a first investor in the share market. We also go into a discussion about where he sees the markets heading in 2021. And we also discuss some fascinating um, investment ideas and a few stocks that he is looking out for in 2021. Please bear in mind that this discussion was had uh, two or three weeks ago. And as you'd appreciate, the financial markets has shifted since this discussion. While we're on this topic, I'd like to put a disclaimer out there that anything discussed in today's episode is general in nature. Please, please go and speak to your financial advisor for specific needs based on your individual circumstances. Now we have that out of the way, uh, let's get on with the episode. Here is Adam DeWoz. Adam, uh, thanks for joining my second uh, podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining um, the call today. So really excited to, to have a chat with you. So obviously, it's been quite a buoyant uh, day in the markets today. What's your What's your thoughts on the current current conditions? Well, it's certainly yeah, I agree. It's definitely been buoyant, and really, it comes down to reporting season and. One, the market is, is excited because there's companies that are upgrading their dividends and yeah. that's exactly what the market's looking for. And I think the companies, when they're upgrading their dividends, they're sort of thinking that potentially COVID might be a little bit uh, behind and, uh, you know, we might be able to move on from that. So I think that's one thing. And then the second thing is is that we're just seeing um, stimulus checks in the US. We're seeing low interest rates, and where else are you going to put your money but in, yeah. in the share market? And that's just driving that growth profile. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, from a brokering perspective, it is all the information that you're getting at the moment that, that this run at the moment is going to continue or, or do you feel that there's obviously going to be a, a bit of a, a pullback at some point or it's just really hard to predict at the moment? Is, is that what sort of... Uh, no, I think I think we're going to continue to move higher. I think this year is is going to. I mean, last year we had our COVID reset, didn't we? We, you know, with the markets reset, they were down thirty five percent. We had a recession or a technical recession. This year, we are looking to continue to move higher. I think this is going to be one of the best secular bull markets that will uh, that will uh, we'll see in our lifetime. And well, you know, well, markets usually reset every sort of seven to ten years. We had our first, you know, we had the GFC that obviously then reset, took 10 years to, you know, for another reset and we're on again. So um, there's always going to be the naysayers out there and there's always going to be the people that are calling the market down. But I think uh, especially this year and especially the first half of this year, uh, things will be going very, very well. Second half, we might see a little bit of a slowdown with it, with no stimulus checks, but then you've got quantitative easing that is still going to, continue to push this market higher. And as we know, the old adage is don't fight the Fed and the Fed is pumping <laughs> money into the system. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, it'd be great to just get a little bit of um, a background about yourself. So just to give the audience some context, um, um, I've known Adam for uh, uh, not, not a long period of time, but 
Um, obviously, I've been trying to um, sort of increase my knowledge and, and, and experience in the markets. And, um, yeah, and, and definitely Adam's been a, a great mentor to myself, so I thought it'd be great to get him on the show. So it'd be good to just give a little bit of background um, in regards to, to your sort of um, journey investment and um, sort of where you've come to, to. Yeah, so, look, it certainly is um, one of those ones where I've, you know, I've been in, in markets for a while now, but I've been at Shore and Partners uh, for 17 years and been a broker for over 12 years. So uh, starting out in pretty much in the mailroom at Shore and Partners, yeah. uh, taking, taking a huge pay cut, uh, coming in and, uh, you know, starting on the ground, but knowing that I wanted to be in markets full-time and become a broker. And then, you know, global financial crisis hit. Uh, and they basically said to me, look, you know, you need to become a broker or you need to find another job. So I said, okay, I'm going to become a broker. So <laughs> you couldn't start it out at any uh, better time at the bottom of 08, 09. And uh, it's been onwards and upwards since. So I'm a full service broker at Shoreham Partners. Uh, we, we, we look after retail clients and I've been a student of the market. Uh, every day that I come in because uh, no day is the same here at Shores <laughs> or in, in any uh, investing side of things. And there's always challenges being thrown up at us and we really need to keep on the ball. But keeping on top of things is what, what I love and, and I do a little bit of media. Do, I obviously look after clients and uh, it's, 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 it's a fun job. Yeah. And, and so, when, I mean, for those, any of the aspiring brokers um, that, that are out there, what what was one of the main, I guess, lessons that you learned in, in the early days when you first started your brokering? Obviously, it would have, the dynamics would have changed, but it was just yeah. about sort of that hustle and, and having to really build that book from scratch? It's definitely building the book from scratch and, and really having to work hard to, to, one, to maintain clients and then, two, to help them along their way. Uh, the, the, the biggest lesson that I learned was is that, and obviously through the global financial crisis, a lot of my clients that I that I picked up said my broker never spoke to me, and I, I learned from that day and have, have always done this is that no matter how good markets are, you will always speak to your clients, and no matter how bad markets are, you'll always speak to your clients. So you should always be calling people or speaking to people if they're down, you know, fifty percent, eighty percent, or or whatever. You should always be on the phone saying this is a situation we're down but this is what we're going to do to fix it or vice versa. When things are good, you know, you get on the phone and then talk about potentially taking some profits and moving money and, and, and working with them. So in the good times and the bad times, you've got to be there for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's obviously, um, you know, obviously why you're sort of on, 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 I see you quite a bit on the Osby's channel and um, that's also how I guess um, sort of saw you do that on a, on a, on a daily basis, not here to plug Osby's, but uh it is a mm. it is it is a great um, way to sort of um, you know really have great education from if you're learning from the market. So obviously moving on to what's happening now um, in the markets and how that's I guess changing the, the dynamic of everything. What would you be advising um, I guess new people that are entering the stock market um, in this crazy time um, where there's you know a lot of momentum trades. And, you know, um, you know, at any point this could turn. So is there any advice that you'd give to the listeners out there around the current environment and sort of how to play that? Yeah, certainly. So there's, there's a couple of things. 
One is uh, understand your risk profile. So a lot of young investors will will put money into something or potentially that they hear on a uh, a Reddit site or, or <laughs> uh, you know, some of these forums. And uh, you look, you know, for me, I really want to understand the business before I start putting money to it. So don't go and in investing in something that you don't understand. So that's the first thing. It's, and it's pretty simple, but really just make sure that you understand the stock but understand its market and understand what it does. There's a lot of companies out there, biotechs, resource companies that people won't have any idea about but have heard it's a potentially a good investment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to be patient. Uh, I, I talk to new people and I always say to them, you know, start paper trading first. You know, get on there, maybe buy $10,000 worth, but on paper you buy some, you know, $1,000 worth and you look at that and potentially – you can start honing your skills on the trading side, understanding the companies, and and then basically keeping uh, four or five stocks on your watch list, and start to get to them, get to know them uh, intimately, because once you get to know them and understand how they move, then you can be moving in and out and understanding what's going on. So be patient. You don't need to invest straight away, and there's always opportunities. Every day there's opportunities in this market, but don't get sucked in by the the hype. Make sure you understand what you're doing. So, yeah, really being patient, I think, is the, is the key because yeah. you know young people just want to get in there and have you know and sort of make a million dollars. It as you say, it it can unwind very very quickly, and that's where people do get burnt. Yeah, I think it's hard though as well because you know with all these social media channels and people just saying you know jump on for the ride. I think. And, and even from my experience, and I think, I, you know, I've been doing it, as I said, in my first episode for 12 or 13 years, it's it's sometimes really hard not not to sort of jump in. And I think in some instances, you know, it's you only sort of learn through your mistakes. And, and I think if you, if you know, if people are going to be jumping into these investments, you, you know, ideally it's, you know, you've have, you have to sort of be really mindful. So I think it's going to be really interesting how you know the market adjusts if it does come back yeah absolutely uh, you know if you if you look at say a resource company you know when it starts in its infancy or it starts to to run as a, a listed stock it has a lot of people that are into for the exploration and they're you know potential punters because potentially they might find some gold they might find some copper they might find some iron ore or some lithium, you know, that they might find something. And so the stock will move on the prospect of them finding something. Now, that's an investor that's in for that short ride. But then once they find things, and then basically the investor cycle or changes, because then the company's in production, it looks at how much revenue they can make, how long is it going to take them to get out of the ground and going forward. And so all of those investors that were in there for the first initial run-up are disappearing now for the more fundamental uh, uh, um, investors. So you need to be careful of what stage you're looking at, so what your risk profile is, but also what stage you're looking at the stock and where it is in its cycle. And that's a little bit harder to see when you first get there, but by watching it, understanding the story, and maybe waiting for a couple of announcements to get a bit of a feel, you can then get an idea and potentially not get left holding the bag while everybody else has disappeared. Yeah, I mean, a few people, um, you know, another option that I'm sure um, you, you, you probably do endorse in some instances for new people is the ETF route as well, if if that's a potential mm. way. Um, do you, is that something that, um, I mean, obviously that's been exploded in the last couple of years with a lot of these platforms that are out there 
Is that something that you think is a, a viable option for people that are just starting out as well? Absolutely, because you can buy one share in an ASX 200 ETF and get the allocation of 200 shares for, for that one, you know, one purchase price, as it were. Plus also then, you know, the ETFs have now, you know, got a lot bigger that, you, you know, you can look at something like a robo or you can look at AI or you can look at these kinds of things and there's always new ones coming out. But what we use ETFs for is also for uh, international and diversification. Yeah. So now instead of having to go to the U.S., and setting up an international account and buying Google, Microsoft, uh, IBM, you know, all of these kinds of things. I can do that via the Australian market and I can use that to get some international exposure, some property, some fixed income, and there's lots of other sectors now that I've, I've got access to. So that's been a huge uh, benefit for us uh, going forward so that we can, what we call strategic asset allocation, we can allocate strategically to clients' portfolios, that wider range. And that, that, that's been a big uh, big plus for us in the industry. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, so just moving on, it'd be great to, obviously there's quite a few exciting stocks um, that are moving at the moment. So it'd be great to, you know, jump a little bit into reporting season. So I did discuss uh, before the show that, you know, it'd be great to have a chat about um, the growth trajectory of, of Zip. And obviously it's the stock that, the number one stock that everyone is talking about. And it, yeah. and it appears that um, all the noise is starting to sort of come through with some evidence with the price movement. So it'd be good to sort of give some context as to maybe, um, you know, what's happening there and, and, and where um, Shaw's and, and you personally see that going in the next um, period of time. Yeah, so like first of all, reporting season, you know, we're, we're pretty much halfway through it, but we've seen a lot of companies beat expectations. So that's that's really uh, fantastic for us to have that uh, beating of those expectations and, and it gives us a lot more confidence sort of going into June and, and then full year reporting that, that potentially, you know, it is going to be a lot better than previously first thought. So I think that's why the markets are very full at the moment. But look, certainly something like a zip and, you know, you've we've talked about our, or Everyone's talked about Afterpay or heard about it. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, we cut out there. But, yeah, we're talking about um, Afterpay in relation to Zip. Yeah, so certainly Afterpay has uh, done very, very well. And I think Zip now is starting to play a little bit of a catch-up in the market. And really what that is, is is basically that Zip have bought a business in the US, QuadPay, and that business in QuadPay is actually getting more users or more visitors to their site than Afterpay. So the numbers of about QuadPay are outstripping what Afterpay are doing in the US. And as we know, the US is the largest consumer in the world. They are the ones that will buy and, and move things going forward. And certainly the US is the holy grail for Australian companies looking to grow their market share. So Zip is having a, an absolute run at the moment, playing <laughs> a little bit of catch up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly been one that we've been on for a long time and will continue. You know, I've got clients saying, oh, should we sell out some? Should we sell? And I keep saying the stock keeps going higher. So what's the point in selling? Let's say and uh, see how far this thing goes. So, yeah, we're really excited about SIP and, and, and the benefits that it can have to the Australian market. Yeah, obviously in the past, you know, it's it seemed to struggle um, a little bit around that. You know, obviously they, they, they did that acquisition yeah. in the U.S., but then it seemed to really, um, I guess, it was around that $6 mark. But obviously after the latest results that came out in the U.S., as you said, it looks like it's 
it's really picking up steam. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, do you believe there will be a bit of consolidation in the space potentially as, as these two keep growing? Or do you think that everyone will try and sort of run their own race to the end? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of things. You know, we were always worried about the margin compression for the, the buy now, pay later sector due to the fact that that margin compression is is that there's only a certain amount of retailers, let's say in Australia, I mean, globally, there's a lot more, but here in Australia that, you know, then they would start having to you know, discount to get the, the, the business on their platform. Now, that hasn't happened yet. And really, the buy now, pay later sector is just pretty much in the retail side of things. So smaller yeah. purchases, you know, shoes, hats, you know, sort of apparel, those kinds of things. But you think that, you know, you could buy a, a car on uh, a buy now, pay later. Um, you can put a holiday on there. Um, you can you can get vet bills on it. Like You know, the world is amazing what you can do with this business and this product. So retail is one side of things, but there are some so many other things that they, that they can uh, turn their attention to. And obviously in the US, we're starting to see those numbers starting to grow as well. So is there going to be some consolidation? You know, Afterpay is, uh, I think, the 11th, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but the 11th largest company now on the Australian market. I think it so is, yeah. It's, it's coming up against Commonwealth Bank. <laughs> now, does, does Commonwealth Bank come and try and take it over to get that customer base? Probably not. It's a bit late. We, it is, yeah. yeah, it is a bit late. But, um, you know, potentially we've seen uh, Westpac get involved with Afterpay. You know, they're, they're taking a, 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 a slice of that. We're starting to see some of these other ones. So potentially some of the smaller guys might get taken out if it's a, a natural fit to what or a natural fit to the business or, you know, potentially a PayPal comes in and says, I want to get some market share in the Asia market uh, and they take something like a zip out because that obviously gives them that foothold. So there's certainly consolidation, yes, at the moment, though, it's such a growth industry. I think it will continue to go on for a few more years to come. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, obviously the branding of an afterpay obviously is probably a little bit stronger than, than, than Zip at the moment overall, but it definitely appears that that, you know, growth trajectory is definitely um, happening in the, in the US. So it'll be interesting to see whether, I mean, if you look at the big market caps of your PayPals, your Visas, you know, they're three to $300 billion mm. businesses, It'll be interesting if, if um, I know there have been in the US recently, um, Zip talking to, to a few of the uh, fund managers, whether it would be a natural progression for both of them to actually list on the NASDAQ. Um, it would be interesting to see whether, whether that will, will, will ever play out. Yeah, look, certainly valuations in the US are a lot higher than what they are here. And it would make sense potentially for someone like Zip who, you know, the market thought that they paid too much for that business quad pay. And that's why there was that sort of soft period for Zip is because the market thought they paid too much. Where Afterpay hasn't paid for a business. They've just gone out and organically grown. And hence why you saw the trajectory from Afterpay from $50, $60, $80 and higher is that they didn't need to buy a business. Zip had to go and buy a business, which was the right thing for them to do. They weren't able to compete on that global scale. And so it's just taken some time for that to come through. NASDAQ would definitely be uh, a next step up for our Australian companies that would do that. Mike Cannon-Brooks can do it. So, look, certainly, uh, you know, some of the Aussie guys that can do it as well because those valuations are a lot higher there 
and they'll have access to a lot more capital. So yeah, it, yeah, no, it, it's going to make sense. It's going to be very interesting. Um, so another stock um that we were going to discuss today is um Aussie Broadband. Yeah. Um, I know that was a recent IPO. Um, and a few of my friends actually did, did get into it or had the opportunity to get into that. What's What's your take on on where they're heading and and the whole MBN and five G and and where where they fit into to all that and, and and where that's heading? Yeah, so obviously the the the, the incumbents or the or the big boys in the room is your Telstra, your Optus, uh, Vodafone. Okay, so they're they're your big guys in the room, and then they will struggle to grow over time due to the fact that they've already got you know yeah, a mature uh, market. Uh, a, a mature, you know, uh, position, and it's very hard for them to to make a large leap or get that real incremental growth going forward. But what's happening is with these smaller plays or these yeah. smaller cap stocks, they're able then to get that growth going forward, and they're able to nip at the heels of the big boys and take that market share away. And that's why I like uh, Aussie Broadband. You might have seen they're doing a lot of advertising at the moment on TV. Yeah, I think um, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, and there's every, everybody that I've spoken to that have used Aussie Broadband, and Australians love to bash telcos. You know, bashing Telstra at a, at a, at a, at a barbecue, is, it's, it's a national pastime without the banks, <laughs> right? It's just, it's just the one thing we do. So every time I've spoken to somebody who uses Aussie Broadband, they can't say an, a bad word about it. They love the service. They love what what's happened with it. And, you know, for me, that's a really uh, a big plus in any telco because we've all sat on the phone for 40, 50, 60 minutes just trying to get one thing done with a telco. So if, if they can turn that around to get that service offering, I think that's that's fantastic. The second thing that I like about it, and I don't know how they do it yet, but it is they are able to do it is they've got the fastest broadband speed in the market. And they're able to do wow. that. Uh, and I don't know how, how they're able to do that, but they are um, faster than Telstra, uh, Optus, those kinds of things. They, they, they've got some secret source in there that they are faster than everybody else. Now, I can, my, my Netflix is fine. I, I, I can use my emails and I, and I you know, sort of you know, use the web. But, it, you know, fast broadband for people who are gamers, for all these other things, they need that fast broadband and that's a real big plus. So they'll continue yeah. to get market share. They'll continue to do that. We expect that they report in the next coming couple of weeks. We expect that they'll beat their prospectus forecasts and that's exactly what you want to do in a young company. You want to see those numbers moving in the right direction and beating forecasts and I think they'll do that with their numbers and potentially the profitability. Now, this doesn't pay a dividend, and that's yeah. probably a good thing compared to some of the other telcos that will just uh, people rely on those dividends for income. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting one. Are they competing directly with the likes of, because I use TPG, and I know, um, you know, that they, they are, you know, they've done well as well, but are they, are they competing directly with them as well? Yeah, so it's a business-to-business business, uh business to business, but also a B2C or a business to customer. So they're repackaging their internet, VoIP and broadband services. And yes, they're actually absolutely competing against uh, the, the bigger guys, TPG uh, and the likes. So, yep, yeah, that is, that's correct. Yep. Great, fantastic. Um, so the other one I want to talk about um, is 
one that that's made a big move probably uh, in the last week or two, um, being rent.com.au. I, I think I may bring it up um, to your attention a while ago, but at that time, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, giving the audience a bit of insight, I, I mean, I, I'm working in payments um, for a company called Assembly, and I, and I'm the view that you know every single model currently is is looking to, I guess, pivot into, you know, pivoting into a payments model, and I did identify this one, but. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually think it was uh, going to sort of move up as quick as quick as um, quick as it did. So it'd be good to give the audience a bit of insight as to sort of why that why that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So really, it's it's about a, a shareholder that's come onto the register, and that <laughs> shareholder's name is Bevan Slattery. Now, potentially, people might know him or might not know him, but the market does follow exactly what he does. Evan Slattery is one of the original founders of Megaport, yeah. uh, is Superloop and NextDC. And NextDC is an absolute cracker of businesses, data center business here in Australia and it's done very, very well. So is Megaport as well. So he has a very good pedigree of uh, building companies but also understanding disruptors in a sector. And Megaport's a classic example of uh, putting a business to the cloud and how cumbersome it is. But with Megaport, it's, it's very, very easy. So there's a huge disruption in, in how that works. So Bevan Slattery has come onto the share registry. And basically from that, a lot of institutions and a lot of people will follow what he does because he's done a lot of the hard work already. So yeah. he, has, he has done uh, this three times in the last six months where he has invested. One stock is 3DP. Oh, okay, yeah. That's yeah. one stock. Um, and that's gone, I think, 90 cents today, and he was in there at five cents. Uh, IHR, which is a, 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 a um, HR uh, system, that hasn't done so well. But then RNT or rent.com.au, uh, he, he basically put some money in at around five to eight cents, and the stock hit, I think, 30 or 29 cents today. So the market follows wow. what he does, and it's an easy trade because we know that he's done a lot of the due diligence and understands the business, but then he can use his connections in the tech space to get more customers, to get them to understand what's going on and it moves forward. So that's the reason yes. why R&T started to move and you should keep an eye on what Bevan Slattery does because the market does follow what he, what he invests in. I think I've read recently he's beefing up his, his, his investment team. Is that right? I think I read somewhere yeah. the last couple of days, yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, he's, he's getting a good following and he's, he's, making, he's making that well. So he puts his family money in. So he puts okay. his skin in the game and it's, a, it's, not, it's not a business or other investors. He puts his own family money into these things and starts to make it work. So I suspect yeah. he's looking at a myriad of companies on the ASX and potentially all in that sort of $0.05, cent, $0.02 cent range that are potentially struggling and then he can bring some more services to, to that business. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to uh, keep an eye keep an eye on that one. Um, thanks for thanks for your time today. Before before I let you go, I just wanted to, and this is what I'll be doing with all all guests moving forward. Is do you have a do you have a tip for this year, either a thematic or or, a, or an individual stock if uh, that you think is going to perform strongly this year? If, if there was one that you had to pick. Yeah, so uh, ABB or Aussie Broadband is definitely one that uh, I, I think has got that, you know, it's got the right secret source uh, yeah. to move forward. There's another small one that has moved a little bit, but I still think it's got a lot of potential, 
And that's a business called 3DA, so number three, uh, Delta Alpha. Yeah. And that's a, uh, a small business, uh, Amero is its name, but it, it's a 3D printing business. Okay, I think I've heard about this maybe a while ago, yeah. Yeah, so um, it, 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 I do own some shares in it, so sort of complete disclo- disclosure there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is a very, very good business. It's just done some really small deals, but small but could be a lot larger with Boeing and in their sort of space side of things. And the business, I really feel, has a lot of upside to it on the back of uh, the ability for 3D printing. And we've seen many companies doing this 3D printing but as it is the old printing model. So in other words, like Xerox and these kind of businesses, you sell the printer, but it's all about the additives. It's all about the ink that goes into those printers, and that's where the profitability is. And this is exactly what these guys have done. They've got a proprietary uh, ingredients that go into this uh, to make metal, so and yeah. to make sort of space, metal and, and you know, so airplanes, those kinds of things. So that's a really interesting space. It's got a long way to go. There's some really interesting people. The Prince of Saudi Arabia is in on it. There's there's some really interesting stuff on 3DA. It is a little bit, you know, has has already had a run, but we think that one could continue to go. Uh, so there's a thematic there. I think the tech side is still to play out. I think that, yeah. And, and then Aussie broadband, you know, in that telco space, I think it's 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 a good little investment as well. So you asked for one, I gave you two. Uh, <laughs> no, no, look, um, no, that's good. It's pretty hard to single down one. Um, but thanks very much for your time. If there is um, anyone that wanted to get in touch with you, what's the what's the best way to to, to get in touch with you, you at Shore and Partners about um, you know sort of your investment investment services that you can assist individuals with? Yeah, so obviously you can find me uh, on on the web or or on LinkedIn, uh, and also uh, calling into Shore and Partners and asking for Adam Dawes. Uh, and look, uh, I'm more than happy to to speak to anybody that potentially might want to uh, invest and and have a bit of a listen. And look, I'll definitely look after um, all of the listeners at the High Conviction Life. And if you mention that you're from the High Conviction of Life, we'll do a little bit of a deal on the brokerage as well to make it a little bit easier to come across. Oh, thanks, mate. No, I appreciate that. No. Well, thanks Absolutely. very much for uh, supporting the show. I know it's early days, but I think I'll definitely... Um, try and get you on um, when outside your busy schedule. I know you're on Switzer and Ausbiz and um, yeah, all, all great channels for um, for the listeners to, to to get a hold of. So thanks very much for your time today and um, um, all the best for the coming year. Yeah, no worries. Well, maybe get me on in six months' time and see how my calls have gone, and you can really put me under the microscope. Oh uh, yeah, I will, I will definitely do that. <laughs> all right, thanks, Adam. Take care. Cheers, mate. That wraps up episode two of Living the High Conviction Life. I do thank Adam for joining. He is a very, very busy man and you will see him on the TV quite a bit. But in saying that, he'll definitely have time to respond to an email. So best way to get a hold of Adam is via his email address. That's adoors at shoreandpartners.com.au. That's A-D-A-W-E-S at shoreandpartners.com.au. And as he said um, just before in the show, he'll definitely look after you and make an assessment whether he can help you out now in the the immediate term or sometime, you know, in the next couple of years to assist in your investment journey. 
On closing, guys, I really appreciate all the feedback that everyone's offered after episode one. It's been quite humbling and I really do uh, appreciate all the support. So if you would like to reach out to me directly for any topics that you'd like to discuss or if you'd like to provide some feedback to the podcast, you can leave a review on my website or alternatively, you can via um, Apple Podcasts or you can leave a comment on Facebook. So that wraps up episode two, guys. I really look forward to upcoming episodes uh, where we're going to discuss quite a few different topics. And in the meantime, I'm David Pellucci, and this was Living the High Conviction Life. Take care. Thank you.